It is so good to see you all this morning. Melissa, our acting director of religious education, mentioned to me we have 57 children here this morning (laughs) as well. So I just want to put this out there. Don't you think we might need two of these on a Sunday? Look around. Of course, this is a special Sunday. That's why so many of us are in red this morning. So many of us are here. This is our Pay Attention to Love Day, a day when we stop to notice all of the love around us. One of the hallmarks of Pay Attention to Love Day as it has evolved and been built and created and shaped here at Wes is that it's not just about romantic love. Actually, I think in some ways that was part of the impulse You know, not just to be the sort of Valentine's Day hallmark version, but to have a moment when we notice love in all of its forms. Some of you might be familiar with the four kinds of loves that love that Greeks talked about. One of them I don't know how to pronounce, so someone can come tell me afterward that I did it wrong. Let me know if that will be you. Um, So the, the one family love is, this is the one I don't know how to pronounce, Storge. What do you think? Anyone? Greek? No. Great. Oh, then that's how you say it. <laughs> Storge. That's family love, how we love those in our family. Filio. That's platonic love, how we love our friends. Eros is romantic or sexual love. And then agape. <laughs> Agape is the best one, of course. Agape is the kind of love that expands to include all of humanity. Religious communities often talk about agape love, what that means in our lives. How can we have that much love? So there's all these different kinds of love, and we talk about them each pay attention to Love Day, and not just then, it comes up occasionally at West throughout the year, I would say, love. (laughs) But today what I'm thinking about, this month as we explore the concept of duty and commitment, I'm thinking about that adage, not Greek, I don't think, that love takes work. You've heard it, right? I remember a friend, a college friend, actually, who um, was telling me, maybe after college, after we had graduated, that she didn't want to be in any relationship that took work. She didn't think that it made sense, you know, that love should just happen. It should just kind of be there and come naturally. And if it took work, it was the wrong thing. We were all kind of young, you know. It takes commitment, to have love, to stay in love. During Susan's meditation, I was thinking about that that first moment when you meet someone, a, a romantic partner or a friend or your child, the first moment that you meet your child, that particular moment, the kind of rush of, of excitement, and then the experience of seeing that person day after day, perhaps, or over many years at reunions, and the shift that happens for us. What that shift is like and how we stay in love with each other. There's a quote from the brothers Karamazov that I, that I really liked. Love in action 
is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Active love is labor and fortitude. Labor and fortitude. I would like a Hallmark card that says that. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. For you, my life is filled with labor and fortitude. Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, we talked about him a little bit last week as we began our exploration of duty and commitment. He wrote, of course, this book called The Religion of Duty, right? Because duty, our commitment, our duty toward each other and toward all of humanity was really at the heart of ethical culture for Felix Adler. He goes on in that book to talk about love. Without duty, there can be no love. He said he would have enjoyed Brothers Karamazov, I guess. Without duty, there can be no love. It's another, just perfect for a Hallmark card kind of phrase. Now, Felix Adler actually had some sort of complicated feelings about marriage, about women, a little bit complicated uh, there in the 19th century, um, and, uh, and about divorce as well. He was strongly against divorce, which was uncommon in his day. But, you know, he lived until 1933 when it was becoming just a little bit more so. And now in our societies, we often struggle with what to do with Felix Adler's thoughts about divorce, what to do with, with his insistence that couples stay together at all times. I, I actually looked at the quote about it and I couldn't even really share it here because it was really kind of depressing. He essentially says, if you don't love each other at all, just keep doing your duty forever. <laughs> he does talk about being able to find a kind of personal satisfaction through that duty. And the thing I like about it, the thing that I think is redeeming is the idea of the insistence on having some kind of duty toward those we love. A sense of commitment to care for them even when we don't feel great love in the moment. Now his thoughts about divorce were before second wave feminism, before the women's movement, and before really an understanding that women or men, that we might look for a kind of personal satisfaction or fulfillment in our relationships. But I think there's something there, something about what commitment in any relationship looks like, something we might still be able to draw from. I want to pause now for a special piece of music this morning, which Art will share with us. This is a song that Art wrote, and it's a biographical song. Is that right, Art? Yes. A song about his own life's story. Invite us to listen. Art and Anne, thank you for that music and for those words. What it brings up for me and what Adler's writing brings up for me is where we now can find the space between the kind of rigid understanding of relationships Till death do us part, even if no one is happy, it's harmful for ourselves and our children, it doesn't work at all anymore. And the sort of, um, well, we'll love each other till we just don't feel like it anymore, which might be, you know, next week. How do we find the right, the right balance there? How do we express our sense as ethical culturists, as progressive religious folks, 
of duty and commitment in love. I actually think that part of the answer may be in shifting the focus, as this pay attention to love day does, from romantic love to all kinds of love. Thinking about the multiple kinds of commitments we have in our lives, not just those in a marriage. And of course, I think at those same times, too, about people who end their relationships and keep their commitment to each other. Have you seen that happen? People that continue to raise children together, to care for each other, to be present in each other's lives, even as one kind of commitment they have shared has ended. But I think, too, about friends who care for each other through long illness as their friendship changes. I think about parents and children who care for each other. I think about all of the ways that we are invited to show commitment in our love. And the question, I think, is how we keep that love going, how we make sure it doesn't drift away, whatever that might mean for us. There was a New York Times article. It was in Modern Love. Do you know that series, Modern Love? They're really fabulous little essays, personal essays, about what love means in people's lives. And there was one a couple of weeks ago written by Mandy Len Catron talking about falling in love with her current partner and, um, and talking about a study that a psychologist, Arthur Aaron, did a number of years ago. It's a study that has 30... It, it, it takes two people who never met before, and they ask each other 36 questions and answer them with each other. They're in three sets, these 36 questions. And then at the very end of the 36 questions, they have to stare at each other's eyes. They keep eye contact for four minutes. That is a long time, FYI. (laughs) So they ask these 36 questions of each other in three sets, each one increasingly intimate, although none of them at all sexual. It starts with, number one, given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? It's kind of fun and light. In the second set, number 16 is, what do you value most in a friendship? Number 24, how do you feel about your relationship with your mother? That might be like a six-hour answer. I don't know how long they gave people. And the last one, number 36, share a personal problem and ask your partner's advice on how he or she might handle it. Also ask your partner to reflect back to you how you seem to be feeling about the problem you have chosen. 36 questions. It must take hours, these questions. And, and so Arthur Aaron, the psychologist, did this study many years ago and talked with the participants who'd never met before, how they felt about each other before. Of course, they didn't feel anything about each other. They hadn't met, right? And then how they felt about their their partner in this study afterward. At least one of the partners got married (laughs) after the study. They invited the entire lab to come. (laughs) And... The point of the study, actually the title of this article about it that Mandy Lee Catron wrote, is called How to Fall in Love with Anybody. The point of the study and really what came out of the research was that if you ask someone these 36 questions and answer them and then stare in their eyes for four minutes, you've got a pretty good shot at falling in love afterward. There's an aspect in this, I think, of vulnerability. Vulnerability. 
That's what you see as you ask these more and more intimate questions. Catron writes, we all have a narrative of ourselves that we offer up to strangers and acquaintances. The story we tell about ourselves, right? We all have a narrative, but Dr. Aaron's questions make it impossible to rely on that narrative. She's talking now about asking these 36 questions of a, of a man she knew, knew a little bit, and they decided to take the experiment together. Ours was the kind of accelerated intimacy I remembered from summer camp. Staying up all night with a new friend, exchanging the details of our short lives. At 13, away from home for the first time, it felt natural to get to know someone quickly. But rarely does adult life present us with such circumstances. She and this person fell in love too, this acquaintance, after they did the 36 questions, and then walked out onto a bridge to stare into each other's eyes. I have to say, I think maybe they were like a little predisposed there. (laughs) And I will say there was a great New Yorker response, you know, the shouts and murmurs column in the New Yorker, which is their comedy writing. They did a series of 36 questions about how to fall out of love. (laughs) Number four was, what would constitute a perfect day for you? Why do we always just go home and watch Netflix instead of doing any of that stuff? (laughs) And then the best was 29, share a tube of toothpaste with your partner. 30, why are you not squeezing from the bottom? Are you a monster? (laughs) I recommend both sets of questions to you, actually, the 36 and then the other 36. But there's something there in those 36 questions that people asked each other in a lab all those many years ago, and then for the modern love column in a bar, that's where they were, asking those questions. They closed the bar down, they said. Something about the idea of vulnerability. I heard a story this past week. I was at a gathering of 450 Unitarian Universalist ministers, so there were a lot of stories that were appropriate for platforms that were shared there. This one was shared by a man named Wayne Weeder, a minister, um, but it's originally of Swedish origin. And he told a story about a, it's a folk tale, so it's a woman whose parents betrothed her to a dragon, kind of a bummer, and um, and the the... The young woman was getting ready for, to, I guess, go marry the dragon, and a wise woman found her. Thank goodness for wise women, or we would all be lost in folktales and life, actually, also. So a wise woman found her and told her, um, told her to wear ten dresses, all one over another, these ten dresses, and then kind of whispered, a secret to her. So she went off to uh, marry the dragon and um, had her ten dresses, and they had the wedding, and they got back to the, I guess, cave um, uh, or lair. And uh, lair, the lair, okay. And, um, and there she was with her ten dresses, and the dragon said, well, let's go. You know, I'm ready for the wedding night. And, um, and she said, oh, of course. Um, uh, let me, I will take my dress off. Um, but if I'm taking mine off, you, you should take something off as well. Well, dragons don't actually wear clothes. So, um, so she took off her first dress, and the dragon took off the jewels that were studding his scales. And then he was a little surprised to find she had another dress underneath. And so she took off that one, and he took off the first layer of scales on his body. And it went on and on as she took off her sixth and seventh dress. He was removing whole scales off his body, off his skin, 
And then her ninth and tenth, by the time she took off her tenth dress, he had taken all of the scales off, all the hard armor that sheathed around his body. And of course there stood In the story, it was a prince, but I really think it would be better if it was another princess, don't you think? (laughs) Anyway, there stood whoever that first princess wanted to marry. Let's put it that way. There's something there, the scales we take off, the story, the narrative that that we use, that we rely on for our acquaintances. And there's something in those 36 questions, I think, the reason it makes us fall in love with each other as we take the scales off one by one, the hard armor that we build. So as I read these 36 questions and the article about them, I began to wonder what it would mean if people asked these 36 questions of each other not just to fall in love, but to stay in love. What would it mean if we asked each other those deep questions, the questions that you ask at summer camp when you're 13, you know, when you're trying to get to know someone? Do you remember that feeling? What if we asked them of each other all the time? And what would it mean for us to ask them of each other? Let's take it out of falling in love in a romantic way and think just about loving each other, about the the filio or even perhaps the agape version. I was musing about this on Facebook, and a West member posted, I think you should be careful you're playing with fire. I was suggesting we might all ask each other the 36 questions, and then I guess stare into each other's eyes, and he was a little bit concerned about what would happen in the society. (laughs) So I want to be clear. Two things I guess I want to be clear about. I want to make sure you heard earlier that I'm not and wouldn't ever condemn divorce. You know, relationships move in many ways, and we figure out the right way through them, all of us. And I also want to make sure that you hear that I'm not saying that we should all fall in love with each other in a really intense 36 questions bar and then on a bridge kind of way. That would be some other community. That's not this one. But what would happen, though, if we did all fall in love with each other in that agape kind of way? What would it mean if we kept asking each other those questions, the ones that peel back the scales? What's most important about a friendship to you? How would you approach this problem I'm having in my life? And what do you think about the way I'm approaching it? Katran says, it's astounding, really, to hear what someone admires in you. It's one of the questions to name three things you admire about your partner in the test. It's astounding to hear what someone admires in you. I don't know why we don't go around thoughtfully complimenting one another all the time. What would it look like, I wonder, if we did? There's a children's folk song that I really love. It's on one of the CDs we play regularly in the car. And it talks about if you're, it's, it's like, I'll be there for you. I'm a friend. If you're hungry, come see me. If you're, if you're tired, come see me. If you're thirsty, come see me. If you're lonely, it goes. If you're lonely and you've got nobody to love. 
Isn't that interesting? I always think about it every time it plays. If you're lonely and you've got nobody to love, it doesn't say if you're lonely and nobody loves you, which is how we think of it more often, I think. You know, how many people love me? Can I count them up? It's if you're lonely and you've got nobody to love. And so it makes me think about the direction that love goes. A member of West was reflecting on how important Pay Attention to Love Day has been for her over the years, and she wrote to me, I have been reminded that I am a source of love in the universe. I don't have to sit back and wait for love to fall on me from above. I can initiate it. If you're lonely and you've got nobody to love, what does it look like if we remember the direction that love can go? Not that it comes like rain falling on us, but that we go out and create it. Katran, that that essayist from Modern Love, went on, what I like about this study is how it assumes that love is an action. Love didn't happen to us. We're in love because we each made the choice to be. So there's something there in all of this, in the 36 questions, I think. There's the idea of vulnerability, of peeling our scales away. And then there's the idea of commitment, of asking the questions of each other, choosing what would happen if we went around thoughtfully complimenting each other all the time. What would happen if we kept asking the questions of each other? Who are you, really? Beyond the story, beyond the narrative that you tell, behind the mask that you put on. I've actually done exercises where I have to gaze for a long time in someone's eyes. They're surprisingly popular among Unitarian Universalist ministers. We do, I will say, we're, we also have a lot of training on appropriate boundaries, so it's okay. <laughs> but, but I've done it. I, I did it this past week, and I did it in an exercise, a retreat I went to a number of years ago. It was actually led by Josh Searle White, Barbara Searle's son. He's spoken here. Many of you know him. And he led this whole group of ministers um, on a weekend retreat um, about kind of getting in touch with ourselves and our bodies and our connection with each other. He talked about um, about how intense the human need to connect is, to be connected with another person. And so we did these exercises where we saw each other from across the room and then walked toward each other, where we held eye contact, and I'll never forget it. We held eye contact, and then we just said to the other person, I see you. That's all. I see you. And I wonder if that isn't what all those 36 questions are, what the taking of the scales off means. I see you. So how is this the work of love? How is this the labor and the fortitude? I see you. I wonder, I just wonder what it might mean to be a community where our duty, our commitment, our labor and fortitude is that we fall in love with each other all the time, over and over again. That we make sure that we look each other in the eyes and say, 
I see you. You've got a little packet there of new member bios. We'll welcome 19 new members, actually, later this morning. And I love the bios that people send in. They're always all different from each other. And people have done such sort of interesting things. And then sometimes they'll include little, like, funny parts about themselves. Somewhere, someone in there, their hobby is smashing the heteronormative patriarchy. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but the reason I love those bios really is that they welcome us into that knowing each other. The best part of them is not the story or the narrative we tell. It's the invitation to ask more questions. I wish we had a bio for every person, or maybe we had a ceremony every week that we welcomed each other to ourselves again and again, introduced each other over and over again, asked each other the questions, and watched the scales slip away. So that's my hope, I guess. That's the Hallmark card I might write. Take off your scales. Tell me the true story of you. And I promise over and over again to keep asking the questions that help me fall in love. May it be so for you and all of us in this community.